Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. Let's say our declaration like we mean it. Y'all ready? We say this every Sunday uh, of, of at least 2021. The Lord's already working in me about a declaration for next year. But here we go. I will constantly guard my heart and align it with God's holy word for everything that I do flows from it. So we're about to get into aligning our heart with God's word. This morning, if you want to go ahead and find your place in Exodus chapter 3, we're going to be uh, talking about Moses and when he came in contact with the burning bush a little bit and how that can relate to our lives. In this series, uh, Vertical, where we're talking about our vertical relationship with the Lord, while so many people in the world are focusing on horizontal relationships and we lose our vertical connection for, for Christians, for people, spiritual people, meaning spiritual in the sense of because there's a negative uh, spiritual realm as well, a dark spiritual realm. But for people of light, it is important and crucial. I cannot uh, overstate how important it is that we protect our vertical relationship with God. Um, this is so important to us as a family of God, and, and, and we will focus on horizontal relationships. Like, for instance, right now, I just want to take a moment before we dive into the Word. I want to take a moment and focus on a horizontal relationship for a moment. Um, today is Tom and Kathy Olive's last Sunday with us at Destiny, and we have had, enjoyed building this horizontal relationship with you guys. We love you guys so much, and uh, would y'all come down front and let us pray with you guys as today's your last Sunday. They're, they're choosing grandkids over destiny. And I'm trying really, really hard not to, not to be hurt by that. But I told them as soon as they, they shared that with me, I told them, guys, y'all need to be, uh, this is a million dollars, right? Yep. <laughs> Thank you. I told, I told you guys when I first heard it, man, you need to be with family. You need to be up there with those grandkids, and you're always going to have a dear place in our heart. And every time you come back to Baldwin County, I mean, if you can't come be with us in worship, you've got to at least call us and let us know that you're down here and, and uh, talk to us. Um, Shay, would you come and let's just pray over, over Tom and Kathy. You can just stay right down here, and I'm just going to kneel. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you for Tom, and I thank you for Kathy. I thank you, Lord, for the time that they've been a part of this house. And not only have they been a part of this house, God, in attendance, but, Lord, they've served this house. Lord, they've brought their, their gifts of, of time and abilities here. But, Lord, they've also supported this house in a biblical financial way. They have been tithers. They have given to this church. They have... Uh, done so much to help us at times in outreach and different things that we've done with the community, God. My prayer is that as they go and they be with their family, Lord, that you would unleash blessings upon them that they didn't even know that there was that dimension of your goodness and how good they know you to be, God. May you uh, 
yet exceedingly abundantly above all that they can ask or imagine, just explode goodness in their life, Father. All the things, the doors that need to be closed, close them. The doors that need to be opened, open. Sell the house. If, is it sold yet? Well, praise the Lord. God's already ahead of me. Thank you, Lord, for selling the house. God, give them new direction in where they're going to live. And thank you, Lord, so much for this godly couple. We are blessed and we are richer people for knowing them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to hug you. I'm going to lean down. Don't let me fall off the stage. All right, I love you, buddy. I love you. I love you. I love you. We're going to miss you. Come on, we can do a little bit better than that. Man, we love you guys. So in this series called Vertical, while it's important, uh, those horizontal relationships are important. But sometimes we can get so caught up in our horizontal relationships that we lose focus of, of our source of life, and that's the vertical. And last week I started a series, This Is... Uh, or, or I started this message, it's a two-parter, and I talked to you about how our posture, it precedes the presence of God. How we come into the presence of God is important for the encounter that you're going to have. It will affect it. And so I mentioned to you that there are 14 ways. Last week I covered seven of those attitudes, and today I'm going to cover the, the other part. And really, I didn't get to read the scripture last week out of Amos chapter 5, that talks about our, our attitudes. And so uh, look, at, look at this, how this is God speaking. And he says to the Israelites, he said, I hate all your show and pretense. The hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies, I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all of your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Now think about this for a second. Think about everything that we've done in this service up until this point. And, you know, that was our response to God. But we also are looking for a response from God. That was our response to God, but we're looking for a response from God. And imagine if the Lord said to Destiny Church, if he said to us today, like, guys, uh, stop, 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 stop. If he just said, stop, 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 please, because I'm not accepting that. I don't want to hear it. But Lord, we were up here Thursday night, and we practiced, and we, brought, you know, we've been working on these songs, and you know, we we had, we did a new song. Did you know? I don't care. I don't care. Why is the Lord saying this to the people of Israel? Because they were coming into His presence, and they were just going through the motions. They were just going through the emotions. And several times the Lord said to Israel, he even said through the prophet Isaiah, he said, listen, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is nowhere near me. It's far from me. 
And God is interested in not just the actions, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but he, God is interested, first and foremost, in our heart and how we bring ourselves. And I'm telling you, last week, if you haven't re- uh, listened to that message, go online and listen to it. Because so many times, our heart posture, our attitude where we come into God's presence is not in the right place. And you will, you'll, you'll go through the songs and you'll be like, you didn't connect with any music. You'll be halfway through the message and you're still thinking on something else or fuming or, or whatever. And, and you're, you're, you're not even connecting. That's why our posture precedes his presence. How we come into his presence is going to affect what we receive while we're in his presence. And our attitude will attract. In other words, it will compel the glory of God, the presence of God. Or it will repel the glory and the presence of God. God is not going to be in a place where the people are haughty and proud and fighting and disunified. And, and he's going to, to be attracted to a hungry group of people. And so as I talk to you about this these 14 postures, I talked to you last week about 14, uh, uh, seven attitudes, and today I want to talk to you about seven actions that we, when we come into God's presence, how we should be practicing uh, our coming into his presence. I want you to read in your scripture, let's, let's read from Exodus chapter 3. And so, Exodus chapter 3 give you a little bit of context. Now, when I started this series, I started with a much more mature Moses. Moses was, had already led the Israelites out of captivity. He was in the wilderness, and he was meeting with God face-to-face, and he asked the Lord to show him his glory, and God said, get in that little cleft, that little, that little uh, place in the rock, and he said, I'm going to pass by, and I'm going to show you all the glory you can, you can handle. There's a whole message in there, man. How much, how much glory you're getting is probably how much you, you can stand. Lord, give me more of your glory. I've heard people say that, sing it. We've, but you know what? You're probably getting as much as you can stand. I'm probably getting as much as I can stand. Because the, if you want to go to a greater place of glory, there's a greater sacrifice that has to be made. And some people just aren't willing to make the sacrifice that it takes to get to a certain level of glory. And I'm just here to tell you, if you're not willing to make that sacrifice, you will only go so far. Why is that so hard for us to believe? In sports, you don't practice, how good are you going to be at it? You don't make all the games, what position do you think you're going to be playing on the team? Does that make sense? In your job, if if you don't put in the effort, There's only so far you're going to be able to excel. Why is it so hard for us to understand that in the spiritual realm? If we are only willing to go so far, there's only so much we're going to get. And so Moses was at this place where he's like, God, I want to see more of your glory. And God said, well, if you'll do this, then I'll. I'll give you all you can stand. We're not at that, Moses. Now let's rewind it. Let's rewind it. 
we are at the place before God called Moses to go get the Israelites. Moses is minding his own business. He's out, um, he's out with the sheep and uh, Jethro, his father-in-law, is uh, the priest of the tribe and you know, he's running from the law. You know, he was raised. Y- y'all know all that. I'm just recounting it for you. He was raised in Pharaoh's palace as Pharaoh's son. But he killed that Egyptian guard. And so he fled into the desert. He met his wife. Jephthro, his father-in-law, has put him in charge of some of his herds. And so he's out there minding his own business. He ain't looking for anything deeper with God. And while he is out there in the wilderness, he comes upon what we know, the account of the burning bush. And so let's pick that up in Exodus chapter 3. One day Moses was tending flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord, and any time the scripture talks about the angel of the Lord, uh, people that are smarter than I, theologians, uh, believe that to be Christ himself appearing in Shekinah glory, tangible glory form. It's a Christophany, Christophany. It's a Christ presentation of himself in the Old Testament. And so here we have the... Uh, The Lord himself appearing in a burning fire from the middle of a bush. And Moses stared in amazement. And though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself, understatement. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Now in the King James Version or the New King James translation of this, it, it, it says it's taking the, the, the Hebrew word sur, S-U-R, which means Moses saw it and he turned aside. Like he, he's not going to the burning bush. But he sees the burning bush and he soared. He turned aside. In other words, his posture changed. His direction changed. And he gave his full attention. There's a lot in, in there about posture. He turns aside and he says, I must go see that. And so he begins to walk over. And verse 4, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, Moses called to him from the middle of the burning bush. And he said, Moses, Moses, here I am. Moses replied, do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. All right, so this situation that Moses comes into, I want you to think about it for just a second. Like, where did the holy ground, because, you know, Moses sees it. He turns aside, changes his posture, begins to go towards him. But there's a lot you can learn about the presence of God. Remember in one of the messages in this series, we talked about the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. And how many people are okay with just living in the omnipresence of God. God is everywhere. Moses is walking by in the omnipresence of God. He sees it. He turns aside. He starts walking. But somewhere, anybody in here know what brackish water is? Few, 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 few of y'all folks do. Y'all know. Y'all grew up. 
around water. Brackish water is where the gulf, we have brackish water here. It's where the gulf meets, uh, salt water meets all of that water coming down the Tensaw River, fresh water. And it's a mixture of salt and fresh water, and it's just, it's just a different, you know, kind of animals. And, you know, sharks live out there, but sharks can't go up in fresh water. And there's a certain place that they go in that fresh water, and then they all of a sudden, they figure out, uh-oh, this ain't my water anymore. i got to turn around. Well, somehow, in this situation, Moses kind of gets into, I'm just going to label it like this, like the brackish presence. Are you following me? He's in the, manifest, he's, he's in the omnipresence of God, walking along, minding his own business. He sees it. All of a sudden, I got to turn, I'm going aside, and the Lord, he's getting into that brackish presence. It's where the omnipresence and the presence, begin, manifest presence, begins to come together. And the Lord says, stop, Moses, because where you're fixing to go is holy ground. And you need to take your shoes off before you step into that. I don't know how far out it extended. What, five, six you know, 10 feet, yards, who knows? But somewhere he was going from the omnipresence to the manifest presence of God. If we look at that, sometimes that's like a service where we come into, we'll come into the omnipresence of God. God was here before we came. He's going to be here when we leave and everybody shuts the lights off. But there is a manifest presence of God that comes near, that is drawn near by our praise, by our posture, what attitudes we come into the building with, what posture physically that we come into the building with. And, you know, there's something about this thing uh, that, intrigued me like the whole shoe thing and I get it there are certain cultures uh, that you take your shoes off at the door I think I even spoke about that in one of the other messages but there are certain cultures you take your shoes off at the door and it's a it's a sign of honor my mom always wanted me to take my shoes off because as a kid I was always out in the mud and tracking around and you know don't trample across my, you know, clean floor. Uh, Sam, I just saw you <laughs> look over there. <laughs> Is that something in y'all's house that y'all practice? But, but, you know, shoes, it just amazes me that he's like, take your sandals off where you are. I, wa- I want you to just look at this real quick. There are some things that you can tell about a person from their selection of footwear. Now, if anybody knows me, you know I like shoes, I don't have a, a lot of vices in life, but shoes are one of my vices. I just like shoes. I, these are a brand new pair of shoes. I never worn them except today. Brand new pair of shoes. Got an incredible deal on them at Ross. I love getting a deal. But you can tell a lot about a person just by looking at their shoes. You can tell a lot about their personality. Somebody comes in here with cowboy boots on. I'll guarantee you they like country music. Now, Pastor Rife, that's a, that's a generalization. Yeah, it is. But I'll guarantee you they like country music. Why? Because cowboys like cow boots. And cowboys like country music. If you got somebody who's wearing some, you know, some uh, Armani or Adolfo or whatever, like... You can tell that joker will lay down three, four hundred, five hundred dollars on a pair of shoes. He's probably an executive or a drug dealer. 
You know, you, you can tell a lot about their personality. Somebody who's got real clean shoes and everything, you, you can tell they're probably a neat freak. You can tell somebody who's got grease and everything all over. You can tell a lot about those people. For instance, you can tell what position they are. You can tell if this person is somebody who works in an office or if there's somebody who works in a warehouse. And there's nothing wrong with either one of those, but a lot of times you can tell a lot about their position. You can also tell a lot about their purpose, again, where, where they are. Uh, not always, but a lot of times you can. Like, for instance, doctors, they typically can afford any kind of shoe they want to. But when they are operating in the operating room, what are they typically in? Some really nice soft uh, sneakers that probably have some good uh, insole in them. Why? Because what they're doing, they're not going dressed for a formal affair. They're going to do work. They're going to, you know, have you ever done work? I've done this before where I set out to do the work and I had the wrong footwear. I've I've taken on some projects and I'm like, I'm just going to wear flip-flops to do these. You know, I'm going, I'm going, to, I'm going to wear flip-flops to tear down the fence in my backyard after the hurricane. Well, negatory, that's a terrible idea. Blisters, your feet are aching, step on a nail, you know, just that kind of stuff. It's not the right footwear for the right thing. So you can tell a lot uh, about somebody's selection of footwear. You can also t- tell a little bit about their path. There are certain people in here today that you've worked in forensics and and you've worked on investigations where you've had to test things and evidence and whatnot. Somebody who's been at a crime, you can tell a lot about the pattern on the bottom of their their, uh, shoe. You can also tell a lot about what that shoe picks up. It could be at a crime scene and just pick up one carpet fiber and you can place that person at the location of the crime. Or it might be a certain type of mud that they picked up while they were, you know, out burying the body in the woods or, or whatever. And you can, you can tell so much about a person and their path, where they've been by their shoe. Now I want you to look at, let's go back to Moses for a second. Moses is saying, uh, God is saying to Moses, Moses, I want you to take your shoes off because you're getting into the manifest glory of God. If you just bear with me for a second, we can dig out a few things because what God's doing is we're, as we're looking at this, God is saying to Moses, Moses, the shoes that you're wearing are not going to take you to where you are about to go. And there are some people that are here this morning where God is speaking to you. I don't know if you're still in the room or if, or if those people uh, have left for the day, but God spoke prophetically to somebody or somebody in the room this morning and said, because you have stepped out on faith, where you've been will not compare to what you've, uh, 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 where you're going. And what God is basically saying to you 
Those shoes that you've worn in the past, they've got you to where you needed to go in the past. But where I'm getting ready to take you to, the glory that I'm getting ready to, uh, to reveal and unleash in your life, I want you to take those shoes off and I'm about to put a new pair of shoes uh, on you for a new calling in your life. God is speaking to Moses through the burning bush and he's saying, Moses... I want to reveal my glory to you in a greater way. And Moses is probably saying, listen, Lord, I don't have, I, I, I don't have the, I got this stutter thing going on. I, 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 you know, I, I'm, I'm not called for that. I can't do that, Lord. And God is saying, listen, stop. I will, I will give you everything you need. And you know a little bit about the story. If you haven't, I encourage you to go read it. You know a little bit about the story where Moses tries to, to backtrack and get out of the calling of God. How many times has God, is it only me and Moses, but how many times has God called you to do something and you try to tell him why that's a bad idea? Anybody? Like I remember when the Lord called me to move to Atlanta and I begin to tell God how many reasons. God, I, we just bought this house not too long ago. God, I, you know, this, we can't sell this house. We can't, you know, I don't, I don't, I, you know, they don't even know what they can pay me. And, you know, and all these different things. And God said, are you going to do what I asked you to do or not? Because you're talking about things that I'm not wanting to talk about. That wasn't the question. I didn't ask you, you know, what, what can I do to help you? I've called you. Are you going to do it? And I, and I just repented and I said, Lord, yes, I, you know I'm going to do what you say. And so the Lord said, that's all I need to know. That's all I need to know. And I promise you. Our house sold like that. We found a place just like that in Atlanta. When God called us to come back here, I don't know how many years ago, uh, 24, whatever, I don't know how many years ago, when God called us to come back here, our house sold in, I don't even think it was two days, in a market where the average house on the market was was eight months in our neighborhood. And I can't remember how many houses in our neighborhood were up for sale. We put the sign in our yard and the next day it was sold. Not only was it sold, the lady who sold it, uh, I wasn't necessarily, I don't think I was going to go with her. I don't really, because I think we were going to go with the lady who helped us buy the house, which we didn't know personally. But the lady in our church said, Pastor Rife, if it would be okay, I would like to offer my services to sell your house because uh, we don't, my agency does not charge a, com, uh, a commission fee for pastors. So not only did my house sell overnight, I paid no commission whatsoever. God can make a way for you in your situation regardless of what it is. So, he speaks to Moses, and Moses, he turns aside, and he changes his posture. Think about what it could have been, his life be like, if Moses wasn't willing to change his posture. Because change is one of the hardest things for us to do. And I don't know about you, but I was, I was pretty much raised in ministry in a church that, honestly, it made me just... I couldn't stand old people. Because old people, 
I hadn't used this word in a long time, and somebody brought it to my attention, so I'm fixing to use it. Old people are just crotchety, cranky, not happy with anything, don't like change, want it their way, can't stand young folk messing up everything in their nice church. See, that's the mentality I had. That's the mentality that I had. And I'm like, I am never going to be crotchety. I'm never going to be cranky. And I'm never not going to, I'm never going to resist change. I'm always going to embrace change. And guess what? I got older. I said older. And I started realizing that, uh, I don't like to change. And that young boy who didn't like who didn't think he ever wouldn't want to change, started turning into the crotchety guy. And, and I started realizing that rigor mortis, that's, that, that rigidness started setting in. And a lot of times it's just fear. It's just fear. And a lot of times it's religion. And I started realizing like, oh my God, I am turning into that. And so I constantly remind myself that, hey, We're growing, we're forever growing, we're forever learning, and we need to forever be changing. What would it have been like if Moses had seen the glory over there and not changed his position? What would it have been like he could have just strolled on by? I wonder if the Lord would have given him a second offering or invitation. I don't know that he would or not. I know that I have been in services like this where the power of God was so strong and the Lord was moving and God impressed me to do something in that service and I did not change my position. And the Lord used someone else in that service. And how do I know that I missed it? Because you can't make this stuff up. They said... The same thing, not word for word, but conceptually, they said the same thing that the Lord had given me. And I knew that I did not sur, I did not change my position to come in alignment with Holy Spirit. And I missed my opportunity. What would have happened, man, if God, if God would have done what he wants to do? And I'm just telling you, if you, if, God, if you won't allow God to use you, he'll use somebody else. And I've just made my mind up in my life, guys, that, hey, God, you ain't got to use me for everything, but please use me for something. God, you don't have to use me for everything, but the things that you have chosen for me to do, don't let Giselle do, because I wasn't willing to do them. Don't, 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 don't let David... Do something that you've called me to do, God. Because he's got his own calling. And here we are in the body of Christ. There's an abundance in the body of Christ. God has something for everybody to do. And so he changed his position. And God is saying to us today that he wants to encounter us. But in order to encounter us, there's some postures that we have to come into God's presence. I want to share a few of these. These are seven actions. Just like last week was attitudes, these are seven actions that will bring us into a God encounter. 
Now, Pastor Rife, do, if, I, if I do these, am I guaranteed for a God encounter? Listen, absolutely, absolutely. Are you sure, Pastor Rife, I'm, if I just do these things, are you guaranteeing me a God encounter? I am, if you get the first seven right. Because you got to have the right attitude or the actions don't matter. I just read that to you in Amos chapter 5. They had the actions down, but they didn't have the right attitude when they came into his presence. And God does not care about our actions if our attitudes do not set the, the standard and the stage for it. So the first thing is there's order. There is an order in the way that we do things in the house of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I was raised in church, in a church that it's like, it seemed like it was the more disorderly you were. Anybody been there? The more chaos, the greater the manifestation and glory of God. I mean, I've seen people get, you know, in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost, and People get injured. I've injured people because that's what I've, what, like, it don't matter. Man, you ain't in control. You ain't in control. God's in control. And, 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 and God will just take you and, and he's like, you know, and, 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 you know, you ain't in control. You ain't in control. You Listen, that's not even biblical. The scripture says that the spirit's subject to the prophet. The devil possesses people. God don't possess people. I won't say it again. The devil possesses people. God don't possess people. God partners with people. This is better than y'all are shouting. I, and I, I don't need your approval because I know I'm telling the truth. But the devil manipulates. God doesn't manipulate God comes and he wants to partner with us. And it seems like I grew up in a, in a situation, and I'm grateful for my Pentecostal heritage, but there was a lot of, of, of wrong teaching in that. And, you know, when we came into the house of God, order was actually looked at as religion. Man, I'm telling you what, you can't read. You cannot read the Old Testament and not appreciate God's order in the temple and how he did things. And there's so much foreshadow and typology of how we come into the house of God in this day and age. So there is an order. Pastor Rife, y'all want me to get in my Murtis voice? Pastor Rife, that was the Old Testament. In the New Testament, bless God, that was done away with. And we just, you know, we can come boldly before the throne, roll around, lay in it. and uh, no. Paul spent so much time correcting. And if you, if you look at the New Testament, there's so much of the New Testament that is written as a form of correction for things that they were doing and practicing wrong. They were bringing in outside culture into the church. My God, could that be the day? They were bringing outside practices, outside ideologies into the church. And Paul spends a great portion of his time correcting the church in the way they worship. And many times in, in our worship, meaning the church world today, 
um, we've lost this thing of being corrected. Like nobody wants to be corrected. But correction is just a form of discipleship. And there are times where, where we, we, we like, hey, this is the place for this and this is not the place for this. And Paul, that's what he was saying. And he says in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 33, he says, For God is not a God of disorder. He's, in other words, he's not a God of confusion. He's a God of peace. As in the meetings in God's holy place and with his holy people, God's a God of peace. When we come into this house, we're going to have, and, and we do, we're going to have order in this house. Very few times in De- at Destiny have we had disorder, but there have been a time or two where we've had disorder. And sometimes disorder is intentional, and sometimes it's just, for for lack of a better word, I'm not calling anybody dumb, it's just a lack of ignorance. We didn't know. We didn't know. Are you following me? There, There was a time one day, years and years ago on a Sunday, there was a Wiccan that came into service, and it was when we were over in that other building and she stood up and she started challenging me and telling me that I was a false prophet teaching a, preaching a false God. And I asked her nicely to sit down. You know, what, what was I doing? I was bringing order. And she wouldn't. She, she was not going to shut up. And I said, ma'am, right now this is, this is a monologue. It's not a dialogue. You and I are not talking. I'm talking. And that's what this looks like. Please sit down or we're going to have you removed. And, of course, we had to, had to remove her. Found out lady that, later that that lady was a practicing Wiccan. And there are times where there's disorder. And it's not intentional. It just happened because we didn't know any better. Listen, God is a God of order. And there is a way for things to be done. And God blesses order. I'm telling you, I have had people uh, blame things musically and preaching uh, for their lack of preparation. Well, man, I just gotta, I gotta obey the Holy Ghost right here. I gotta obey the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost is moving me in a different direction. Well, that totally has happened to me before where I step up and I'm like, God, I don't understand it. I thought you had this message and all of a sudden there's something else now. But even in situations like that, God is still a God of order. If I step into somebody's pulpit and they have asked me to bring a word in a series that they're doing, I do not get to take the stage and say, well, pastor asked me to bring a word on uh, this in, in this series. I'm blessed to be in this house, but God changed my mind right before I came in. And pastor, I'm just going to obey the word. No, you ain't. You should have talked to me about that because, like, that's not how we work around here. There, God is a God of order. He honors preparation. He honors planning. And yes, I know you can plan the Holy Ghost right on out of something. But you know we don't do that. Not at destiny. We make time for the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do. And if he wants to go a different direction with the offering that we brought to him, he certainly can do that because he's the audience, not us. The next thing is waiting. 
This is not just God's agenda or what he wants. to. This is God's timing. The scripture says, and now I'll send, this is, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay, in other words, wait in the city, in Jerusalem, till the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with the power from heaven. What was happening on the day that God poured his spirit out and birthed the church? What happened? They were waiting. They were in a posture of waiting together, praying together. And there are times in our life where I don't know about you, I don't like to wait. And I'm going to tell you, when, when we understand that there is something about waiting in the presence of God, most of the time, if I'm on the stage and I'm, and I'm saying, let's just wait on the Lord. I'm usually feeling like, let's just wait and see if the Lord, where he's going. Because I don't know what to do right here. I'm a take charge kind of person. I don't need, I, I can lead us in some direction, but it might be the wrong direction. There are just times. And I had to get to a place in my spiritual walk because I was always taught, in other words, me, I was taught that the guy on the stage, he's in tune with the Holy Ghost like nobody else in the building, probably on the planet. That dude knows what to do and he never not knows what to do. And I had to understand at some point that's just not the truth. There are times where I'm standing before you and leading the church, and I'm like, I don't know what the Lord is doing here. Let's just wait. Because I know I could move forward, but that's not, I know it's not the right, I don't know what the right thing is, but I know what the wrong thing is. And we'll just wait in those moments. And sometimes it can be awkward. And I had to get over this, this uh, false uh, personality trait that I had uh, learned from other ministers that, you know, you got to be large and in charge if you're on the stage. And I, I learned, no, you don't. You just be, have to be humble and submitted. Just humble and submitted. And you have to be humble. And that's one of the attitudes, remember? You have to be humble and, you know, be willing to say, God, I don't know what to do here. I don't know what to do. Show me what to do. And I realize these people are looking to figure out like, okay, what next? And I'm like, I don't know. Let's just wait. But in the waiting, many times the most powerful promises will come. And God will show up and God will do something so powerful in that moment that 18 months of sermons wouldn't get you there, but an instant in His presence got you there. Amen. So, waiting. Body position. Let me try to scoot through these. So body position, this is your physical engagement. Listen, I'm telling you, if you come into the house of the Lord and, and you slump down, sleepy, uh, slothful, slumbering, you know, whatever position you're in, God's probably not going to come over and wake you up. He's probably going to look at you like the little baby in the crib and go, oh, isn't he cute? Let's just let him sleep. The way you physically come into God's house the, your, your physical posture, you know, sitting up, being alert, like staring. You know, if sitting at the back is a distraction from you, then sit at the front. If sitting at the front is a distraction, sit at the back. 
Your position where you are has a lot to do with you connecting with what God is doing. Psalm 47 and 1 says this. It says, come everybody, clap your hands and shout to God with a voice of triumph. Shout to God with this joyful praise. There are so many scriptures that lay out a posture for us in some physical. Shouting, that's using your voice. Um, Clapping, kneeling, laying, uh, prostrate before the Lord. Just flat out laying before the Lord. And in a lot of places that are religious and they don't understand that kind of praise, you know, you're just supposed to come sit in the seat, cross your hands and might take a few notes and then get up and leave. That is not how to engage with the Holy Spirit. And I get it. I get how that feels, like you're embarrassed to raise your hands. I used to be there. You've heard me tell those stories until I realized the Scripture says that the Lord loves it when we come into his house and we, and we begin to align. You know, our declaration is, I'm going to align my heart with his word. Well, he loves us to align our body with his word. And he wants us to shout, clap, sing, kneel, lay before the Lord, bow before him, weep before him. So many different postures to engage in his presence. I don't understand it. But it moves the Lord. It moves the Lord. And I guess I can understand it because when you engage with someone, you know when they're attentive to you. You know when they're paying attention. You know when they're engaged with you. And it makes you want to engage the more. And when they're not, it sort of just puts a damper on the receptivity of what's going on. Then vocally... I love black churches. Now, there really shouldn't be a such thing as a black church, a white church, a Chinese church, or any other kind of, uh, you know, uh, homogenous, is that right? Homogeneous uh, group, church. The church should be red and yellow, black and white. You know, it should be that. But look, there are, there are African-American churches that I love because they are vocal. I mean, they're going to be vocal. I don't know if their heart's right. I don't know if it's wrong, but I know they, they, they know how to be vocal. And they're going to they're gonna preach, preacher. Preach it, preacher. Come on now. Help, I'll help you say it. They're all, they're all up in it. They are all about praising. They are all about being vocal. And I'm telling you what, as a posture that the church needs to have. I've said for too many years, man, this church is too quiet for me. Why? Is it for me? No. It can feed a guy's ego. It can. But I know it's a biblical response. There is nothing more beautiful. There is nothing more beautiful. I've told the praise team this for years, recently and for years. Listen, um, we ain't no superstar singers. I mean, we got some people that can sing, and I ain't trying to hurt anybody's feelings. But we ain't no superstar singers. We ain't Beyonce, and we ain't Elvis, and we ain't whoever you want to fill in the blank. That's not our purpose, to get up and look all shiny and beautiful. Our, present, our purpose is to usher in the presence of God. And it comes in with the heart posture. But it's not about us singing up on this stage how good or bad it may be. 
It is about us leading you in, in, in a connection and, and you participating with us. Y'all are not here to watch us. If you are, I'm just telling you, you need to get your money back some Sundays. <laughs> Y'all, I'm just playing, okay? Just chill out. No, I'm just saying, if you're coming, if you're coming for that, you, you, you are not coming for the right reason. You're coming for us to do it together. And there is nothing more beautiful than hearing the congregation singing with the team. Does that make sense? Because it's bringing in the praises of God, and it's like, hey, we're not at a concert. We are in community in this chorus that we're raising to the Lord. Look at this one. Offering. Giving physically and financially to the church. Like, this is a posture that we should come with. That you should never enter the house of the Lord. This is important. You should never enter the house of the Lord without an offering. And that offering sometimes presents itself in a physical way. Like, I'm physically offering myself as the keyboardist today. I'm physically offering myself as a media person or a greeter or a children's leader teaching toddlers or whatever. That's my physical offering that I'm bringing today. Other times, it's a financial offering. This, this month, Shay and I have worshipped the Lord uh, throughout the month with our, with our finances, our resources. And, and one, it's not one or the other. Well, I give. Of my time, so you know I'm I'm exempt from that whole uh, offering and tithe thing. It's not one or the other. It's not one or the other. How, like how you act to God, and I act to God. Think about if we acted that way to Him. Wait, let me back that up. How you and I act to God. Think if He acted that way to us. Like, hey, Amy. Um, health, health, or um, favor in your job. You can't have both. It's one or the other. So take your pick, because this week you're only going to get one or the other. All right? No, God is not that way. He's an all-sufficient God, and he, he, he interacts with us in all those different ways. So when we come, we don't, we don't pick and choose how we, how we engage with him. So bring an offering to the Lord because it's something that draws God's presence to you. I could, I could stay there for a little bit, but my wife is saying, please don't. Number six, study, growing in God's word. He says to Timothy, Timothy, work hard. In other words, study. Timothy, study. Give yourself due diligence. Pour yourself into the work of the faith so that you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of God. When you come into the house of God, your posture towards the word needs to be, how much longer is this guy going? Like, you know, what? I don't even know what he said. That's not my fault, friend. It's your fault. You need to know what is being said. 
You need to know, like, uh, man, let me, let me go dig this out or let me apply this to my life. Let me, because I'm telling you, when we come in, you don't need to know the word based upon what Rife says. You need to know the word based upon the fact that you've studied the word yourself and dug it out. And for me, I typically tell people, don't read your Bible. Study your Bible. Don't read your Bible. God is not impressed that you read the, book, the Bible through this year. While that is a great goal to have, I used to do that, and it's like, man, I, I read four chapters today in Leviticus, and I don't remember a thing about it. But I read it. No. Man, go to 1 John. Go to Luke. Go to Acts. Go to, you know, Isaiah. And, and begin in there and just study out what it means. And why is he writing this? And why is he saying it in this tone? And there are different, you know, commentaries and online tools that can help you understand. Like, you know, I didn't take Hebrew in school. And I didn't take Greek at the seminary that I went to. So where do I get, Pastor Rife, how do you know all those Greek words? Well, I go online and I study them. I go and dig it out. That's how I, how I find that stuff out because I've made a decision. I'm going to study his word. Then I'm going to apply it to my life. And here's the last thing and we're going to close. Repentance. We have to come with this posture of repentance. And so many people have this idea of repentance is coming and saying, God, I'm really sorry for what I did. That's not repentance. That is part of repentance, but that's not repentance. Repentance is behavior and heart change. If you come down and you apologize to the Lord and say you're sorry and you get up and nothing's changed, you have not repented. Heart change. When we come before the Lord and we say, God, I'm sorry, I want to do better, and I'm going to stop that, and I'm going to start doing this, whatever, whatever it, this is in response to your life, when we come in that kind of posture, I promise you, it draws you into a greater level of glory than you ever will have experienced if you're just riding the altar rail saying you're sorry week after week after week after week. At some point, God does not want to hear you say you're sorry again without some kind of heart change. Obedience, the scripture says, is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than me coming and saying, I'm sorry, every week. I didn't make it up, it's in the word. God wants us to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. So, If you want to experience a greater level of God's glory, then adjust your posture. Change your position. Come expecting. I promise you, just a few tweaks in how you come into God's presence could change your life forever. So how do I put all of this in practice, Pastor Rife. It's going to be pretty similar to the first week's message, which was, what are two ways 
Just think of two ways. Like, I'll guarantee you, you could probably think of ten. But just what are two ways that you can begin engaging in worship at a deeper level and just start doing that? Just start doing it. I'll give you two examples of what I did that changed my life. And I started doing it at a very early age, probably like y'all's age, these young men right here. One, I decided that I was going to physically engage in worship and that I started trying to raise my hands. And I could only get them up about right here at first because I was, I was too cool, too cool. I'm too cool for that. I don't, I don't want my girlfriend to see me getting spiritual now. And I, you know... And, and then the Lord, I'm, I'm, listen, guys, I'm telling you, please. All God needed was this much. Because you know what happened? He began a conversation with me. All he needed was that much. I didn't have to go straight up here. All he needed was this much. And when I went that much, this is what I did. I'm like, because I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't want Shay because she's a teenager in my church. Oh, I don't want Shay to see me because I'm trying to go out with her. I don't want her to see me worship. So I put them down. And the Lord just gently started nudging my little teenage heart. And he said, do you really love me more than you love her? Let me think about a minute, Lord. And I got them up to here and they eventually, and it's like now I don't even care. But I had to grow into that. So, you know, that was one thing that the Lord uh, changed for me in my life. That that was just one behavior. And another behavior was I would always come in and I would have my posse with me. Now, you remember, I'm like 16. I had my little posse with me. And we're going to sit on the back row. We're going to cut up. We're going to make fun of the preacher. And we're going to make fun of sister so-and-so acting crazy in the Holy Ghost. And we're going to write love notes the whole time, pass them back and forth and all that. And when, when I started getting serious about the Lord, the Lord says, y'all need to clear that mess out. And you need to, get, y'all need to, you need to sit somewhere else besides around them because that's all they're going to do. And I moved. I moved. What's his problem? He got an attitude. I did. I changed my attitude because I want to get closer to God. I want to be closer in his presence. And so I did. I changed my, my position where I was on the back row. And I started moving towards the, more towards the front. And when I moved, guess what? They moved. And when they moved up close to me, I'm like, y'all ain't going to be doing that up here. And they begin to get closer to the Lord. So somebody might be waiting on you.